a negative attitude and a positive concentration. Verse 13, please, of Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let us pray. Father, reveal unto us your Son and your Word. Reveal unto us, Father, the things that we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Reveal unto us the glories of our God and of his kingdom. Reveal unto us, Lord, the wonderful treasures you have in store for us. Reveal unto us this morning, Father, great truths from your word and and strengthen our hearts and equip us, Father, for the day, for the week, for the months, for the years, should your son tarry that lie ahead. We ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself to us this morning. Reveal your will, your plan and your purpose. God will reveal even this unto you. So, Father, reveal yourself, for without your spirit moving, we cannot know the mind of God. And without you showing us, we cannot know, Almighty God. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would reveal afresh and anew, all over again, your own self to us. And that you would glorify your name in all that is said this morning. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. A negative attitude and a positive concentration. And what we've been trying to do is show scripturally and even devotionally and to show literally. And even if we look at things, we've been looking for four weeks and how all of us can have a negative attitude about things. A negative attitude not only about life, a negative attitude about things that have happened in life. A negative attitude of how God sees us, thinks of us and who we are in God And we have a negative attitude by circumstances, by situations. The negative attitude drags us down. Negative attitude holds us back. Negative attitude could cause us to become bitter. Negative attitude can cause us to become selfish. Negative attitude could hold us back from running the race which God has set before us. Because the negativity of it, we only see through carnal, fleshy eyes. And in a negative attitude, we become uh, that depressed spirit which affects all the surrounding around us and in that it has an ongoing effect a knock-on effect where no one wants to be around that person who has a negative attitude all the time and it's dropping a negative attitude about yourself about others about circumstances and about how God thinks about you looks at you and who you are in God and when we drop that negative attitude we're free we become free from bondage and from chains that beset us and we're liberated, we're prisoners as it were to the things that, of, of our attitude and what we hold on to and when we drop that attitude of things even of the world, how dear we hold things rather than hold Christ, when we drop it all and get back in the race and run the race which is set for, before us and keep our eyes on a positive concentration We've been trying to show you that positive concentration is that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you go through, no matter what trial or tribulation, hurt or heartache or whatever it may be, keep your eyes fixed and focused on Christ. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus because it's the enemy's will 
And it's the enemy's desire. And it's the, it's the enemy's uh, strategy to hold you back from what God has for you. To cause you to see things around you that will not release the blessing, but will hold you back from God's blessing. That you'll step out of the race, you'll fall by the wayside. You might be backsliding hard, or even backslide literally. And things come. Tiredness can come and fatigue can come and, and hurts can come and mourning can come and stress can come and anxiety can come. And in all of those things coming, negative attitudes hold us back and we get stinking thinking. And once our mind goes, mind, remember, is the, battle, is the battlefield where wars are fought and won or wars are fought and lost. So the battle that rages in your mind this morning, a negative attitude can cause you to lose concentration on what God's speaking to you this morning, on what God wants to say to you this morning. A negative attitude can cause you to, uh, to, to, to look at the floor and not look to heaven, can cause you to look back and not forward. A negative attitude can hold you to such a place where you feel strapped in and chained up and bound that you can't move forward. And even in worship and praise and adoration for the Lord, you know, a negative attitude can cause us to blame God and many things that aren't God's fault and that are things that are even set in motion or we have to blame the devil for. And keeping a positive concentration is this, that in all things, in all things that you're facing, in all the things that today might hold or tomorrow might hold or the week might hold or next week might hold, and that despite how you think and how you feel and, and your reaction might want to be, you must keep a positive concentration on the Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping a positive concentration on the mark that is set before you is keeping a positive concentration on the glory of God. Keeping a positive concentration on the wonders of our King. Keeping a positive concentration on the great blessing that he has and on the great resurrection on that day and the manifestation of the sons of God. That's our goal, to manifest the glory of God in this life, learning, training, starting now. For the life that is to come when the fullness of the manifestation will come at the resurrection of the body. When the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So a positive concentration in your life, in your hardship, in your trial, in your circumstance. A positive concentration for you and me is of the utmost importance for it keeps us on what we call the straight and narrow. keeps us on the narrow path. It keeps us in the way. It keeps us close to Christ. It keeps our eyes focused that no matter what else is going around you and all oblivion is happening and the world seems to be collapsing and your heart is melting and breaking and you don't know what to do, the positive concentration is there's a bigger picture. There's the glories of God. There's a blessing to be had and you're entering the wonderful things of the kingdom of God. Keeping a positive concentration, even when your mind can't concentrate. How do you do that? Positive concentration is is in the heart, not just the mind. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart. For where the mind goes, the heart goes. And where the mind goes, the heart goes. And then the man goes or the woman goes. 
And if we keep our minds to say, Lord, at the moment I am struggling, at the moment I am weary, at the moment I can't see further than the end of my nose, and we keep that positive concentration, can't be in our mind, it's in our hearts, we say, but I know, Lord, that you are for me. I know, Lord, your blessing is toward me. I know that your love will never, will, will never forsake me. I know that you'll be with me always. I know, Lord, that you're bringing me into deeper things in you, more spiritual uh, uh, blessings that are to be had. I know, Lord, that in all these things, you can do exceeding and abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. And I know, Lord, keeping my vision, keeping my focus, keeping my eyes, keeping my heart fixed and focused and centralized on you, Lord Jesus, is all I need to know, for you will carry me through. You need to keep a positive concentration, even when your mind can't concentrate. Even when you think you're losing your mind, you can't continue on. The heart knows way deep down, way in the crevices and the deep inner recesses of your heart. When you know Christ, you know you're not keeping yourself, but he is keeping you. The positive concentration is keeping our minds in Christ. We have looked at this word, Paul says in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul is turning and saying to you and I this morning, Look, there's things I don't understand. There's things that I, I can't grasp hold of. There are things that I can't plumb the depths of. There are things that I can't explain. There are things I just don't know. But this I know. I know there's a race to run. I know that I must drop all things and forget them that will hinder me from following the Lord, from serving Christ in his fullness. And I must press toward the mark. You know, pressing gives the idea of struggle. Pressing gives the idea even of crushing, pushing through, pressing on, keep on going on. Pressing gives the idea of concentrating until the finished end. He says, I press toward the mark. I forget, he says, all these things. They're not going to hold me back. They're not going to tear me down. They're not going to hinder my life. I may be hurting. I may be going through things. I have come through much, Paul says, but in all these things I've sinned and have failed and have fell and I had a life before Christ and I'm ashamed of, he says. But in all these things, he says, I must forget them, not let the devil bring them up to me nor anyone else. I must not hold on to them. I must forget them. The idea here to forget means to totally, completely and to utterly forget. To totally, to completely and to utterly forget. You know, you and I say we forget, but we don't. When we say God forgets, people think God has a weakness because God can forget. But when God forgets our sin through the washing of the blood of Christ, it's not a weakness of God, but it's a strength of God. 
It's a strength of God that he has the ability because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of his shed blood, he has the ability to put your sin and your failures and your fallings and your faults and all the things that we do, even the very nature of our flesh that still thrives and is well alive today that causes us to become rotten to the core at times. God has a wonderful ability in his strength to forget your sin. To forget your feelings and your faults. And your falterings and your backslidings. And you and I can say we forget. But at some point, some place in time. That old man and woman rears their head again. And that person or thing or experience comes afresh to us. And whether it's hurt and from the past or mourning. causes us in the flesh to see no further than the end of our nose. Here we have Paul saying, I count not myself. Let me look at the word count again and try and round this up and wrap it up for us this morning. Look, it's me. It means to count, to calculate, to compute, to reason, to reckon, and to come to a finished conclusion. In other words, Paul has searched his heart. And Paul has sought the Lord. And Paul has been in grievous, harrowing times. And Paul may well have had his past brought up to him from persecuting the church before he was saved, before Christ arrested him on the road to Damascus. And Paul says, you know, I've thought of this in every way, from every angle, from every position. I've thought of it, and I've thought of it, and I've thought of it, and I've thought of it. I've looked at it over and over and over and over and over again. He says, I've come from every teaching of Gamaliel's theology. I've thought about the light shining from glory. I've thought about the voice Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Thought of his reply, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest when I asked who art thy Lord. He says, I've thought of it all. Thought of the blindness that fell on me. Ananias who comes to the house in Straight Street and, and speaks and lays the, the, the call of God in my life. He says, I've thought of all this and you know, I can't fully explain or understand or know why I've been called. A man like me. And I can't explain why or understand how God could call me. I still don't fully understand the things of God, yet I've been caught up to the third heaven. I've been in the deserts of Arabia. I've I've, I've had time with the Lord that I just can't, I just can't express to you. He says, I've heard words that are unlawful for me to tell you at the minute. In other words, God wouldn't even let me try to explain to you what I've seen, but yet I still do not fully, totally, completely understand. I've calculated it, I've thought of it, I've run it over, I've sought the Lord, and I still can't understand everything that God is doing. Makes me feel better. Lightens my burden. It lightens my load even as a pastor to 
when people say, why is this happening? I know God does this, and I know God does that, and I've seen God do here, and I know God moves there, and then suddenly something happens, and I'm asked why, and I go, I don't know. I sought the Lord, and I've sought his face, and I've cried out to him, and I still don't know. I still don't know, but Paul says this. Paul says, I don't know, Ken, so feel better, son. I can't tell you the depths of God. And I can't tell you the the strengths of God's blessing. And I can't tell you the mind of God, save the spirit of God, breathes into me and shows me his glories. And his will and his ways. Praying during the week and I said, Lord, You showed your acts unto the children of Israel. You showed your ways unto Moses. And we have seen acts. But Lord, teach us your ways. Show me your way that I may walk with you on another plane and in a different realm deeper love Paul says I haven't fully grasped hold I have not apprehended that which I have been apprehended for he says why did God apprehend me why did God catch me on the Damascus road he says what's the fullness of this gospel all these things are going on shipwrecks and whippings and beatings and stonings and chasing me out of towns and villages and he says, I, 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 I've sought the Lord and I still don't know why I, I, I leave some who are sick and others who are healed. And I, I don't know why all aren't being saved, yet there's revivals happening one side and a, a rat happens on the other. He says, I can't fully understand and comprehend. I have to just leave it in the sovereignty, the will, the purpose and the plan of Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, there are things that you don't understand this morning and I don't understand and we can't explain why, but we have to leave it in the sovereign will, purpose and plan of Almighty God that at some time and in some place and in some part he may even reveal unto us somewhere even down the line before glory comes what exactly had happened, what he was doing in the midst of it and what God was teaching us through it. And leaving it at his feet and saying, Lord, I've sought you and I just don't understand. He says, I count as the word logizome to look from every angle. And we did look at Romans 4. And we'll not go back to Romans 4 just for time's sake, but will you turn with me please to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a marvelous chapter. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. The book of Romans is a masterpiece. Romans chapter 8 is fantastic. You read about the Spirit of God the whole way through. Here is revelation, revelation, revelation. Being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit after the Spirit. You know, the law of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit is life, we're told. It's all about the Spirit. And how he helps our infirmities. 
And he makes out their session for us when we don't know how to pray. Let's talk about having the mind of the Spirit. Let's look at this word, Logizomai, please. Romans chapter 8. Let your eye run down to verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know there are certain There are certain people come into a church and claim to be in Christ. But at some point down the line, they've told me that the Spirit has never witnessed to them that they're the children of God. You know why? Because they weren't, they were religious. The Spirit witnessing that you're a child of God this morning, that you're His, is this. That whether we're singing praising and certain things are sung spirit witnesses to your heart you'll know your heart that's my saviour he's my king Jesus he's my lord the spirit's witnessing to your heart this is him reveals him by through word we sang isn't he beautiful beautiful isn't he and the spirit should witness to your heart yes he is look at him Yes, he is. Look at him. And you see him, you say, oh, he is beautiful. We sang, Almighty God, we bring you praise for your son, the word of God. Then we sang, morning star, the father's glory. I see when I hear that, Whoever wrote that, written, had written that, surely there was inspiration there. Morning star, a father's glory. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, that man of Calvary, Jesus of Nazareth, the man of Galilee, he's the father's glory. Father revealed to us we sing that we should be singing morning star the father's glory the spirit witnesses to our hearts Lord you are wonderful you're beautiful beyond description you're too marvelous for words the spirit witnesses to our hearts and the word of God when the word of God is is proclaimed or preached or taught the word of God should be the main meat of the Christian's life the main meat that sustains us for that meat is where the spirit wings home the good seed which is the word of God to the heart and witnesses that you belong to him. Things in the word that, that, that show the glories of God, that shows the, the, the omnipotence on the omniscience and the omnipresence and, and shows him coming down in grace and mercy and showing us the glories of the cross. The spirit just booms in our hearts and, and, and witnesses and says, you see how you're, you're reacting? Do you see that, that feeling? Do you see that rejoicing? Do you see the jumping of the heart and, and the spring in the step and, and your spirit is just magnifying the Lord? He says, that is me witnessing to the Son of God. That is me saying you're a child of God. That is me saying, love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit witnessing to your heart that you are a son of God. That witness 
that witness will take full fruition and full power and full, not only life-changing, but eternal changing means in the life the coming of Christ. For when he returns and the Spirit touches us, whether we're in the grave or we're alive and remain, and he touches us, the Spirit witnesses to our hearts that we're born of God. And from the inside to the out, this corruptible body that gets weary and tired and sick and dies, it will be changed in a moment. The twinkling of an eye when the Holy Spirit witnesses even to my flesh. When Christ redeemed us, he deemed us spirit, soul, and body. Your body belongs to Christ. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look after it. Take it to the right places. For in that you're taking him where you are. Let us read on for a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself birth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See the word reckon? Logates to me. For I reckon. Paul says, I have counted not myself to have apprehended. Here the word reckon is the same word logates to me. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul has come to a finished, calculated, settled, reckoned, reasoned conclusion. And it is what it is. It's not supposition and it's not an opinion. It is what it is. That's what it means. I've looked at it, it is what it is. Now, see all those things we've talked about, all those things we're facing, see all those things we go through, all those times of hurt and trial and fear and worry and anxiety and mourning. See all those things that you know what you're going through while it's in the mind and the heart and the flesh. Paul adds them up. Paul adds it all up. And he looks at it. And he could have took a negative attitude at this time. For I reckon the sufferings. The word here for this present time really gives the eye of this season. This season. Sister, brother, listen to me please. Listen to the word. This is for a season. To everything there is a season. Now listen. And the time to every purpose under the heaven. It's a time to be born. 
There's a time to die. And what you're going through, what you feel, and maybe you're doing all right at the minute, well, it'll come to all of us at some point. You're either going into a valley, you're maybe going through a valley, or maybe you're just coming out of the valley. It's for a season. This whole life that we live, whether it be one year old, 100 years old, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, and in that is a season. Your lifetime is a season. We are but for a vapor that appears for a little time then vanisheth away, James tells us. And in that season, all manner of things will come and go. But in that season of life, there are seasons where we will be tried and tested some very, very, very sorely. It's how we react to this to remind ourselves we're coming through and we're going to go out the other side. We're not staying in it. It may be long for you sometimes, but you'll get through it. You'll get through it. You'll get out the other side. And you'll come out in victory. You'll come out with Christ holding your hand. You'll come out in glory. You'll come out with great blessing. It's a season. Hold on. Dig deep. Keep on going on. And have a positive concentration. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God has a plan and a purpose that is eternal for you. And he has a plan and purpose in this life for you. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. The word worthy is the word axiom. It gives the idea to weigh something up to see if it's of equal measure. To weigh something up to see if it's of equal measure. You know, whenever we talk about in the book of Revelation when they're crying worthy is the lamb that was slain it's the same word axion axion is the lamb that was slain it means weigh him up against everything else weigh his sacrifice up against man's works and religion weigh up the power of the blood of Jesus against the, the good works and the, the pilgrimages of man But weigh up the person of the Son of God against all other persons that ever lived in the face of this earth. At any given time, it says, weigh up and see if any can compare to him. And when we put every one of humanity, that's me and you and everyone who ever lived, onto one side of the scale. And the scale is heavy laden and it's burdened and it's weighed down. And we put Christ on the other side. He outweighs every single one of us altogether. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Weigh up every sacrifice of blood from Abel at the garden. Till even those who sacrifice blood today 
to try and expiate their sin. Weigh up everything, every religious form. Put it all on a scale. Every denomination, everything that that man counts dear and thinks is his way around the mountain, as it were, around all roads that lead that they think to heaven. Weigh it all up and stick it on the scale and, and, the, and the scale is weighed down heavy on one side. Then put Christ's sacrifice in his blood and put the person of Jesus on the other side and you'll find again he outweighs all things. He outweighs all sacrifices of blood. He weighs out all works of religion. He outweighs all denominationalism. He outweighs all things that man could ever try or achieve or attain. He outweighs it by a grand, grand scale. And they cry in glory. And we'll cry in heaven. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You're worthy, Jesus. You alone, Lord. For the weight of Christ's glory is in me and in you. And the weight of Christ's glory is for me and it is for you. Let me try to wrap this up for you. Thank you for your attention. But I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Here is the scale the axiom, the things of glory. Can I ask those who are thinking of falling by the wayside? Can I ask those who are thinking of not serving Christ with fullness of heart? For letting their negative attitude, and I'm not saying it in a condemnatory sense, it's just we all can take it. Uh, those things that hurt us and we just wonder why and we can't explain. Listen, Paul says the same. He says, I've been hurt and I don't understand. I've sought the Lord. Can I speak to you this morning? Maybe even someone. You see, this is listened to around the world now. We get feedback of these from around the world, from, from the States to Alaska even, to all around the place to Australia. And let me say for those who are whether here or somewhere else, and maybe you're thinking, you know, I've had enough. The temptation's too much. The trial's too hard. My heart's just breaking. Make this day the day when you will say, forgetting those things which are behind. You say, but I'm living in it now. No, listen. You may live in it every moment, but as it comes, you're wading through, you're pressing on, you're reaching forth, you have a positive concentration and all hell might come against you and the devil might throw all he has at you and your flesh might cry out, give up, give up, lie down and die. But you say, no, I will live for the sake of Christ. For down there, there's a revealed glory to come. Of a failed kingdom. And it's for you, brethren. It's for you, sister. We keep on going on with God. For when I think of this season of my life, and when I think of this time that I have, whether I live a moment or another 50, 60 years, 
it's a season and in that are other seasons of life. And when we weigh it up, and it may be seasons of hardness and seasons of hurt and seasons of grief and seasons of blackness and darkness and seems like that, but the whole way through every valley experience that you have, he takes you by the hand. And even as the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Through your valley experience, that's where he is. He's a mountaintop rose of Sharon, beautiful and vibrant and fragrant and, uh, and glorious in all its beauty. But when you get to the valley where it's dark and dingy and dreary and damp and cold and shadowy here and there and fear and fright and anxiety and worry comes and in that little experience as you pass through it, You think that Sharon Rose is on the mountain all the time. No, no, no. He is called the lily of the valleys. He is in the valley experience. He's there. He may seem different. He may smell different. He may look different. You may experience him different. But he is in every valley. He's in every valley. Even when you're unaware of him. He's in your valley. And the glory he has for you outweighs everything that you're feeling at this present thing. And all you've come through. Paul was saying, I count not myself to have apprehended. What Paul was saying, I have, I have not reached the spiritual impasse of non-development. <laughs> You know what Paul's saying to you? See what you're going through. You might not understand it here and now. The Lord's teaching you something in it. As he leads you through it. He'll walk with you and he'll talk with you. Don't think you're come to a spiritual impasse that you know it all. Because our God's eternal. And we'll always have something new to find out even throughout the eternal ages. I finish with this. Thank you for your attention. But this one thing I do. Nobody says, but this one thing I do. Actually in the Greek, the, uh, it reads, I guess, but one thing. And it gives the idea that Paul gets agitated. Paul gets stirred up in his spirit. That's the way it reads. Now, we read it in our English and it seems nice. But it gives the idea, it speaks volumes in this original language. Paul goes, brethren, I count myself not being apprehended. But one thing, that's where he goes, one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, he says, unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Brethren, your high calling, sister, your high calling, and I say it with reverence and respect. You know, a medical profession, I take my hat off to you because I couldn't do your job. I don't have the brains to do your job, but I couldn't do your job. Couldn't do it. It's a calling. And other jobs are callings. Just using it for an example. But that's not the high calling of God in Christ Jesus.
Your high calling is past your job and your employment. Your high calling is a manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. For the creature, read the next verse of Romans 8 and you'll find out. Speaks of the creature, the earth is groaning and travailing, looking for them, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is that? That's from here to now for our experience to grow in Christ. That at his coming, the spirit witnesses that we are the children of God. And the resurrection comes and we're changed in a moment. And kingdom of God comes in his fullness and wraps himself around planet earth. Let's keep going on with God. No matter what. Keep on. Going on. God bless you. Time's gone.